So I want to start this morning with a slightly different uh, musical sampler for you, and I'm going to just ask you to stick with me for a few minutes because this is a little untraditional. I'm going to sing you two versions of the same song. And as you bear with my singing here, uh, I invite you to listen to the theology, the different theologies in both versions of this song. In other words, what does each version say is sacred? What is of ultimate importance? And what redeems us from the evil of the world? That's what theology is, okay? So version one. Here we go. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you o'er freedom a victory win? There's powerful power in the blood. Oh, there's power, power, there's wonder-working power. There's power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power. There's power in the blood of the Lamb. Okay, so that might be the first time in 60 or 70 years that that particular song has been sung in a UU church. (laughs) We're going to come back to that later. Version 2 goes like this. Would you have mansions of gold in the sky and live in a shack way in the back? Would you have wings up to heaven to fly and starve here with rags on your back? Come all ye workers from every land, come join in the grand industrial band. Then we our share of this earth shall demand. Come on, do your share like a man. There is power, power in a band of working men. When they stand hand in hand, there's power, there's power, there is power. Power, power in a band that must rule every land, the industrial union grand. All right. So, uh, thank you. Thanks for bearing with me. So, two pretty different theologies, okay? The first version, of course, is a very famous Christian hymn called There is Power in the Blood. It was written in 1899, and it remains a staple of many, many Christian hymnals, and It espouses a theology that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, laid down his life to atone for humanity's sins, and therefore we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Now, I want to be very clear here that I am not disparaging this theology, which is shared by so many of our Christian neighbors and siblings around the world, but I do admit that this is a very different theology than most Unitarian Universalists, including UU Christians, Share. We're having some earring interference, so we're going to do a little, <laughs> little wardrobe change here. Excuse me. Thank you. So, this is a very, very different theology for many of us, and my guess is that uh, the second version felt a little bit more comfortable to many of you. The second version, of course, is There is Power in a Union, written by the famous labor activist and wobbly member of the Industrial Workers of the World, Joe Hill back in 1913. Clearly, it has a very different theology from the first version. And I I use that word theology broadly because, of course, as we know, the labor movement at that particular period was deeply connected with Marxism and pretty rejecting of all forms of religion. But I mean theology to say 
a broad framework of belief about what is sacred, about what binds us together, and what saves us from meaningless and dis- meaninglessness and despair. So under that definition of theology, the second version is also very clear. What is important is justice in the here and now, especially for poor and working people, and that we, as humans, create that justice together, literally and figuratively by forming unions. So how many of you were a little bit more comfortable with the theology in number two than number one? Okay. It makes sense, of course, because there is a lot of alignment between our universalist and Unitarian theologies and the theology of the union movement. There's a focus on this world and this life. There's a recognition of humans as agents of change and as architects of justice. And there's a lifting up of the power of interconnection and interdependence. These are central principles to both union organizing and our faith. So I'm curious then that as I was going through our Unitarian and Universalist history books doing some preparation here, that there there really is no history of sustained solidarity with or work with the labor movement in America in Unitarian Universalism. We have been abolitionists and women suffragists and immigration allies and eco-justice warriors, but we've never really joined on the labor band. And I I think that's probably likely because we have at least a self-conception, if not an entire truth, of the idea that we are largely educated and owning class people. We tend to be the, the bosses, not the workers in our faith. So I want to do a a very brief straw poll. How many of you are members of unions? How many, okay, look around, great. How many of you who just raised your hand are a part of teachers' unions? Put your hands down if the union you are a part of is not a teachers' union. Okay, a few of us. So there are churches in the world in which you would go in and every single hand would go up for being members of an industrial union. Doesn't happen to be our demographic. So given that, it's not really surprising that we haven't had a deep relationship with the labor movement in terms of our Unitarian Universalist social justice work. Unfortunately, we are very, very similar to the labor movement in the particular challenges that we are facing right now in this historical moment. Namely, both movements espouse a vision of this worldly justice and broad inclusion, and yet neither community has succeeded in embodying that vision and sustaining it for a wide swath of the population. In fact, Membership in both unions and our Unitarian Universalist congregations are on a rapid decline and have been for quite some time. Now, of course, there are greater cultural and social factors at work. You could talk about the ways that millennials and Gen Xers don't believe in membership anymore. You could talk about the rise of the radical and political left. But there are also some interesting parallels between the internal 
characters and you might say shortcomings that both Unitarian Universalism and the American labor movement share. First, both Unitarian Universalism and organized unions have done life-saving work protecting their members from oppression from outside forces. For unions, this looks like keeping workers from being unfairly fired or punished, making sure that contracts are fair, and ensuring that workers from a wide variety of professions have the conditions and resources they need to do their jobs. For Unitarian Universalists, it's looked like helping our members heal from the scars of oppressive religious upbringings, creating safe spaces for people to explore beliefs without dogma, and building communities where diverse practices and theologies are bound together by covenantal relationship. But because both movements have been so focused on protecting our people from the world out there, we've often failed to build relationships with communities and individuals who aren't already a part of us. Both movements have tended to be insider-focused, sometimes inaccessible to outsiders, and on our worst days, we have turned up our noses at the backward practices of the people who are not already among us. These attitudes have limited effectiveness and inclusiveness, and they've prevented us from building powerful relationships of solidarity. The second, let's call it personality quirk, that the traditional labor movement and our faith share is this strange cocktail of anti-authoritarianism and reverence for the democratic process. Both unionists and Unitarian Universalists tend to be very, very skeptical of authority figures, while at the same time being almost idolatrous of democracy as the only way to build our structures and institutions. So the result has too often been structures like union bodies, congregations, whose members are distrustful, of course, of any outside authority, but often of their own leaders. <laughs> so it's no surprise that it is rare to see unions really standing together across sectors in solidarity, just as it's rare for our congregations to truly join together in collaboration, let alone beyond our own faith. Finally, I would say that both our movement and the labor movement have been deeply marked by monoculturalism and a lack of understanding about the ways that, inter that oppressions intersect. Both groups have relatively little class diversity among them. Politically, both tend to be centered to left leaning with little tolerance or respect for social and religious conservatism. And racially, and this is a long and complicated story, but to sum it up, there are long histories in both unions and our congregations of claiming to embrace racial diversity while embodying cultures of whiteness that have made belonging excruciatingly painful, if not impossible, for folks of color. 
Now, the demographics of unions have changed over the last few years. There are more folks of color in them now than there have been in the past. But neither labor nor our faith have historically been very effective in joining broader struggles for racial justice with communities of color. Now, don't worry. I'm a preacher, so I'm going to bring you some good news. Okay, I know that sounds a little bit dismal, but I believe... On this particular Labor Day, we are standing in the middle of a seismic societal and political shift. It's causing many, many people to wake up, and it's not just the right. People waking up include, and especially those of us on the left who are beginning to see that a rhetoric of justice and inclusion is not the same as a practice of justice and inclusion. And so I think, in this historic moment, my friends, we're getting saved. (laughs) Not because we're claiming the power of the blood, but because we are beginning to understand, in the broadest sense, the salvific and liberatory power in a union. For example, do any of you remember the Chicago teacher strike of 2012? So our then seventh grader was one of the 350,000 Chicago public school students who stayed home for an extra week at the end of the summer as the teachers union faced off with the city. And it was an ugly conflict and they were fighting over all the things that teachers strikes usually fight about. But it was not particularly unique in terms of why they were fighting or what the outcome was and who had to compromise what. What was unique, though, is that during this week of strikes, a small group of teachers began to come together and form a caucus. They envisioned a union that not only advocated for the rights of its members, but for justice for the children and the communities that they served and worked in. Of course, they remained concerned with benefits and tenure and classroom conditions, but they also began talking about police brutality and the school-to-prison pipeline and affordable housing. These teachers realized that if they didn't have an analysis of the broader context in which their students and parents lived, they couldn't do their jobs, and they certainly wouldn't have the support of those communities in which they were teaching. So this small caucus that began in the teacher strike in Chicago in 2012 has since grown into a burgeoning national movement and an organization that is now called the Network for Social Justice Unionism. And they're beginning to organize caucuses of justice-oriented union members in various unions across sectors all around the nation. They believe that this new, broader perspective that they are trying to bring into union organizing is what is going to save labor in America. Bob Peterson, the president of the Milwaukee Teachers Association, puts it this way. He says, our future depends on redefining unionism from a narrow trade union model focused almost exclusively on protecting union members to a broader vision that 
sees the future of unionized workers as tied directly to the interests of the entire working class and the communities, particularly communities of color, in which we live and work. So the principles of social justice unionism are very simple. Oppressions and rights are intersectional and interconnected. Struggles that are not easily categorized as workers' issues are still a part of the scope of concern of unions. And in the face of fear-mongering and scarcity thinking, there is a simple declaration that there's enough for all of us, an injury to one is an injury to all, and we all do better when we all do better. So on this Labor Day weekend, in the midst of this swirling, seismic moment that we find ourselves in. I want to suggest that I think it's time that we Unitarian Universalists take some inspiration from this burgeoning social justice unionism movement. So I'm going to do a little work here that we don't always do publicly as Unitarian Universalists, and I'm actually going to outline a Unitarian Universalist theology and not just use the pronoun I. I'm going to say we. So I invite you to enter into that with me with the requisite grain of sand and skepticism, but this is a aspirational theology of labor, one that is in line with our historic universalist and Unitarian beliefs, but also one that calls us into new ways of doing and being and thinking in these momentous times. Consider this as you will. As Unitarian Universalists, we believe that all people are created with equal and inherent worth and dignity. We believe that all people retain that worth and dignity throughout their lives, regardless of their race, their profession, their class, or their life circumstances. That part's easy, right? You can get on board with that. As Unitarian Universalists, we believe that humans shape the world in which we live, that we are the architects of either justice or injustice. We are not waiting for a divine hand to intervene and change the course of history. We believe that we are those hands. We are the ones that we've been waiting for. As Unitarian Universalists, then, we believe that we are called to actively build a society in which each person's worth and dignity are affirmed in all areas of their lives, including in their participation in the workforce and the economy. As my colleague, the Reverend Aaron McEmrys writes, if we want to support and affirm the inherent worth and dignity of working people, we have to actively challenge the economic, legal, and social systems that undermine or block the expression of that worth and dignity. In other words, it's not enough to just believe it. We have to create a world in which it is possible to live it out. As Unitarian Universalists, we believe that we are all interconnected and interdependent. Whatever our background or our identities, we understand that none of us is free until all of us are free. We are all harmed when workers are exploited and their wages are stolen. When entire communities of color are underemployed, unemployed, and incarcerated. 
when people from the global south are criminalized for making the heartbreaking decisions to leave their homes and cross international borders in search of financial security. We are not to blame for the systems that we have inherited, but we know we are responsible for them. Because what harms one of us harms us all. In other words, we know that collective liberation is a synonym for universal salvation. Finally, as Unitarian Universalists, and because we are a covenantal people, we believe that there is power in a union, in the broadest sense of that word. The stakes are high, and it matters if we win. And so we willingly seek to enter into relationships with each other, with our neighbors, and with broader and broader circles of people who share our deep belief in the value and the interconnection that we share in spite of our differences. Because we believe that our collective power lies in those connections, we choose to practice humility, to journey in awareness of our own identities, complex and diverse as they may be, and to lean in sometimes to leadership while other times practicing the spiritual discipline of followership. My friends, on this Labor Day weekend, may we all join together with a vision of a world in which, like Mary Oliver's cricket, we can all move our own grains of sand in safety and in dignity, knowing that our individual movements, our little piles of sand, are inextricably connected to the collective building of a universe in which every person can live a life of wholeness and flourishing. May it be so. Blessed be Ashe and Amen.